I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. The most famous guy I know is this comedian nobody has heard of. That's not totally true. Some of you are about to say, dude, I have heard of Sugar Sammy. But given the sheer scale of Sugar Sammy's success, the hundreds of thousands of tickets he sold around the world, the millions of people in India and Africa and Quebec who watch him on television, it's kind of astonishing how low his profile is in English Canada and in the States. I knew Sammy, Samir Kular, a tiny bit from university. He was kind of this Duddy Kravitz type on campus, an entrepreneur. These days, he performs stand-up around the world in English, French, Hindi, and Punjabi. Sometimes he speaks all in one set. His career is kind of this bizarre, unprecedented thing, a very specifically Canadian thing that most Canadians don't even know about. I had a chance to catch up with him and chat about all of this in his dressing room at the Olympia Theater in Montreal shortly after he publicly announced that he's moving to France. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Lise Prendergast, Nathan, Andrew, Luke Seeley, Ethan Bain, Jeff, Brent Randall, Gabriel Bourget, and Amy Hoover. Amy, why did you decide to be awesome? 
because I had a gym membership that I was not using and I thought I would put that money to good use and support the great work that Canada Land is doing. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode of Canada Land is also brought to you by FreshBooks, the original sponsor of Canada Land. FreshBooks.com, the Canadian company that makes the solution for invoicing. That's it. It's the solution. If you send an invoice, you should be using FreshBooks. It's as simple as that. There's a new year coming. Get all of your accounting, get all of your billing, all of your invoicing on FreshBooks for the new year. It's clean that way. You'll have your entire year there when it comes tax time, when you need to figure out how much HST you've charged and spent, your invoices, everything, all 2016 should be on FreshBooks, painless billing. The features keep getting better. The mobile app is wonderful, very easy to use. It saves you time. It gets you paid quicker. Go to FreshBooks.com, sign up for a 30-day free trial. When you do become a customer, tell them that Canada Land sent you and you will be doing the show a favor. Thank you, FreshBooks. So you picked a hell of a time to move to Paris. I know. It was... um I, I flew back in. I took the last flight before uh, all that started. As, as I landed in Montreal, 45 minutes later, the attacks in Paris started. I was there for a month. I had a great time. I was up there doing stand-up, you know, three, four times a day uh, in different clubs, just working on material and adapting my material for France. And I was uh, having a great time. And it was the, the love I was getting from that audience and, and the, the fact that they were seeing something new for, for, uh, you know, for, the, for the first time. And for me, being up there for the first time, it was great. It was like I was falling in love with this city who was slowly falling in love with me. And, and, uh, and then it, it broke my heart to see that on Friday and all weekend. You know, I was shocked at first and then 
just heartbroken all weekend. It was tough. Yeah, it was a hell of a thing. So are you still going to go? I'm still going to go. Yeah. My plans are still to go in September, you know. So uh, I got to finish up my tour in Quebec and then uh, and go up there and, and start from scratch. Okay. I want to hear about all of that and uh, I want to hear why. But we got to go back. We got to start uh, many years ago. My first memories of you back in university. Oh, geez. <laughs> Here it goes. They're going to be they're gonna be scoops for the first time. You're all about breaking news. I got nothing on you. I have good memories of you. Maybe this is embarrassing for you. I don't think it should be. It probably is. <laughs> you had an SUV that you used to ride around campus, and it said jism on it. And you were like a nightclub. Do we say nightclub or, or, or after hours parties? You, 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 you were a promoter. No, it was a nightclub. Yeah, I was a nightclub promoter. So I used to throw parties all around the city. And uh, I think my target audience was McGill students just because I was at McGill. So it was easy to promote between classes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to do Coquinos on Fridays. It was called Kama Sutra. Uh, sorry, on Saturdays. It was called Kama Sutra Saturdays at Coquino. And then once a month, we had parties at this club called Groove Society. Yeah, which is actually yeah, right here right. where we are. Yeah. Wait, was it in this theater? It was below this theater right next door on Amherst. The, I parked my car where the entrance was. You had lineups outside of this place. I remember. Yeah, we had crazy lineups at all of our parties, and uh, and it was called Jism. Yeah, we had it once a month, and I had the uh, I had the logo on my car, and I drive around with it. And, uh, and we can say that on the podcast, no problem. But this also plays on radio stations, and uh, and we need to let those radio stations know. You spelled it G I S M, so it's it, totally okay. Yeah, it was, it was pronounced Gizm for us. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It was called Jism, but uh, but it meant uh, it meant body in in Hindi. Right. Okay. So we we got a little bit of uh, clearance there. And I also knew you from class because I wasn't really much of a of a nightclub guy. Yeah. And the class that I took with you, maybe there was more than one, but there's one that I remember very well. It was one of these little academic workshop classes that they used to have in the cultural studies building. It was the most esoteric, jargon-filled French theory. I think it was called The Body. It was all about corporeality and French theory of reinterpretations of textual analysis. I recall it because I was completely stupefied. I didn't understand a word that the professor was saying. Yeah, I remember that. It was like at one point we had this whole debate about, you know, who had the best take on authorial interpretation. Was it Foucault or Barthes? And then it just went on for hours. Yeah, maybe you were following along. I certainly didn't know what was going on. So I took the course because it was one of the few courses where you didn't have to write an essay. You could do like an art project instead of the essay. And uh, that let me like make cartoons and little animated films and, you know, everybody. I mean, these kinds of courses attracted a certain kind of like pseudo intellectual hipster undergraduate humanities student, a lot of like uh, chunky black frames and people nodding as if they understood everything. I mean, maybe they did. I I was convinced that nobody knew what the hell was going on. And at the end of the term, we all presented our work. I showed a short cartoon. A lot of people did like weird uh, spoken word presentations or they would make a book where they would cut out their hair and there'd be like collages on each page. But you got up there and you did a set of stand-up comedy for like 20 Undergrads. Yeah. 
And man, you bombed. Did I? <laughs> I don't remember this. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know if you could say that you bombed because I don't know that it was possible to make that crowd laugh. I mean, the context, we were not in a nightclub. It was in the, this classroom setting and nobody even understood what was happening. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> I was probably just looking for an easy way out of that project. I was like, well, what do I do anyways? I do open mic and I do stand up. Uh, pretty much on a on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. So I probably didn't prepare anything. I was like, I'll just do stand-up. You just sort of shrugged it off. Like, eh. Yeah. Anyway, I took notice of you because I felt like McGill is still like uh, a place of privilege in Canada. And I felt like you were kind of recreating a pattern that I, I kind of identify with, not through my own experience, but like what I understand, like my grandfather went through. It used to be that Jewish kids were sort of the young Turks in the strongholds of, of uh, Canadian blue bloods. But now it's it's somebody like you. And there was sort of that entrepreneurial spirit. And I, I felt like, you know, this guy doesn't care what people think about him and he's going for it. This guy's a hustler. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, uh, I actually picked that program because I was interested in it. I wanted to do something that was, you know, communications based. And I think it used to be called film and communication before they switched it to cultural studies. So I jumped into that program thinking we were going to, you know, work on, you know, film and, and uh, you know, screenwriting and things like that. But it was basically reading a lot of philosophy articles and books and then kind of reviewing them. So I stuck with it and I tried to take some more interesting electives and, and, uh, and stuff like that. I remember taking one called uh, Pop Music After 1945. I think right. that was my favorite class. This was like the kind of program where you could take courses on pop music. You could take courses on Scorsese films. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, you, you actually, if you were able to, you, were, you, you, could, you could have fun with that program you know, depending on what you picked. And we had some of those, you know, quote unquote, artsy fartsy uh, classes, like the one we did with Professor Georgescu. And, uh, and, you know, you still end up uh, learning quite a bit about, about certain things or the way, you know, certain people operate. Yeah. You learned something from it. Yeah. You learned something from it. You kept, sometimes you kept wait. Yeah. It sounds like we're in the same boat because my parents were really interested in me going to a good university, but I wanted to go somewhere where I could make stuff. That's right. Yeah. So I think that was it. Just being at McGill was like one of those things that your family could be proud of. Yeah. While you tried to do stand up or while you tried to make cartoons. And I question that, that whole status for McGill. I mean, maybe that status is earned now. I think it's pretty hard to get in now. But back then, like, I don't know, it wasn't so hard. And I remember thinking... This is not the Harvard of the North. Yeah. <laughs> I have a C. How did I get in here? <laughs> so I have a C average. How did I get in here? But it was something it was like, I think it was one of the reasons I, I went to McGill. I mean, besides the fact that I actually wanted to get an education was obviously, I think, to stall my parents a little bit while I was working on my stand-up. I was like, this will keep them happy for the next three years. Yeah. And uh, while I work on, uh, on doing stand-up. And uh, at the end of the day, at least I'll have a degree so they don't think I've... Or they can they can tell the family I haven't completely wasted my life away. But even then, you're like running this promotion business, mm -hmm. and you're working on your undergraduate degree, and you're doing stand up. That's a lot of work, man. I was just slacking off in Montreal for most of that period. Well, I don't know. I, I just kept doing things. For me, it was always about doing things that I was interested in. The goal was always stand up. The goal was always stand up. You were never going to become like a like a professional nightclub guy. No, no, because you, you can't. It's it's not sustainable long term. At one point, you turn thirty five, and your body says, "I can't do this yeah. anymore." <laughs> and, I, and I was pretty I was pretty aware of that. And I guess you knew that you weren't going to like keep up with school and become an academic or go to law school. Or I mean, there's a path that that you know uh, McGill suggests for people who are going that route. Like uh, our prime minister was uh, Trudeau was at McGill a few years before us. It's true. I actually remember seeing him at Gertz. Oh yeah, yeah. He was at Gertz during the day. You know, like uh, during the lunch break, and he was. Uh, I remember seeing him, and I was like, oh. He 
he goes here, you know? I think it was like the year that I I, I, I was at, the year I started McGill, he was- Yeah, he was just finishing up. He was just finishing up, so- uh, You ever take a course with uh, Professor Mike Bristol? You ever take one of his? Uh, I don't remember taking anything with Mike Bristol. He was just on Facebook saying that- uh, the new Prime Minister of Canada is a former student of his who used to uh, show up to class in his rollerblades. Okay. Couldn't you just see Justin Trudeau rollerblading in the class? Yeah, and you know, good for the environment. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. He was green back in the day before everybody before it was chic, before yeah. it was fashionable. So maybe that's what your parents had in mind, but that was uh, that was not for you. I knew it wasn't going to be for me. I knew I wanted to be in the entertainment world. It w- it was what interested me all the time. It's it's what I've wanted to do. It's what I wanted to do since I was a kid. I remember wanting to do stand up the first time I watched Eddie Murphy, Delirious. Yeah. I remember for I think guys our age. That was the VHS that was at every blockbuster, every video store. I snuck the TV into my bedroom to watch that. Yeah, exactly. And I remember watching that and that was life altering. And I said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life as a kid. And then even when I tried not to do it and to tell myself, this is not realistic, get it out of your head and go do something else, it kept just bringing me back in, you know, like I, I, I had to, I had to do it. It was bigger than me. Like the, to the point where I remember quitting standup for a couple of years and whenever I'd accidentally fall onto a standup comedian on TV, I'd get sick because I knew that I wanted to do that. Like I, my stomach would start turning and I'm like, I, it's, it's like being in love with a woman you can't be with, you know, it killed me every time. So I, I knew that that's what I had to do. Okay. So we're going to fast forward a bit, the story of, of, of how you made it. And I know that that's, you know, this is uh, stand up is the kind of thing where you just got to put in the hours and make your bones and that all happened and, and, and you got there. But I want to talk about wh- where there is because you inhabit a really unique place in the Canadian media. You've been doing this bilingual show in Montreal. How many tickets to it have you sold in this city? Uh, well, combined because I, I have two versions of the same show. It's it's one show, but there's a bilingual version and there's a unilingual French version. And now there's an English one too, but we don't have too many of those. They're like five or six just because of, you know, the, in, the unilingual English population in Montreal uh, can only sustain that many shows. But altogether, we're up to 330,000 tickets in the last three years. And the majority of those tickets are the bilingual show. That's right. So that's an unprecedented thing as far as I know. I mean... Like the French media world, it's its own culture. Mm. It's a world that takes place entirely in French, and yet you've sold hundreds of thousands of tickets for a bilingual show. Yeah, and uh, I didn't know that it was possible. I mean, I remember when I first started thinking of the concept, because I thought to myself, I do this as a Montrealer. It's very unique what we have over here. I mean, I speak... Uh, both languages. I speak four languages. I watch TV in English and in French. Like I'll watch the hockey game in French, read about it in the newspaper in English, and then watch Brian Wilde on CTV comment about it in English. And I'll watch uh, Canadian TV, American TV, and Quebecois TV and French TV. And I know a lot of my friends here do the same thing. And I see people, and I, I I talk to people, and I these people are part of my life. Um, part of my life and they do this and they do it in a separate way and I was like it'd be it's it's only natural to have a show that would be able to encompass both the languages and the cultures and because you don't see it on TV you don't see it in the radio it's you know it's very segmented uh, it's very fragmented and then so I said let's try it the only place we could start it is independently as a show so 
I pitched to a couple producers in town. Everybody thought I was nuts. Everybody said, there's no way you're going to get Anglos and Francos in the same building. I said, but most people aren't just Anglophone or Francophone anymore in Montreal. You know, most people are bilingual to a certain level. Some are a little more English, some are a little more French, but most people are bilingual, you know, and some people are 50-50. And then I said, okay, well, let me try it myself. We put, uh, I put them on sale and I think 45 seconds later, two of them had sold out within 45 seconds of a press conference where we announced it. And that weekend that we announced it, we announced it like six months before it would start. We sold out nine, uh, 1400 seaters, uh, within two days. Uh -huh. And then before I even started doing the shows, I announced the shows in October, 2011 And I started performing them in February 2012. Before I even started, we had 30 sold-out shows. And you've been doing this consistently for four years now, this show? Uh, almost four in uh, February. But uh, I mean, this doesn't happen in Toronto, that you've got a comedian doing the same show mm -hmm. for four years and filling up the theater every time. Yeah. I don't, uh, you know, I guess it speaks to the fact that everybody wanted to see this show because I think it was the first time it was a show that really represented what it is to be a Montrealer and yeah. what it is to live in Quebec. And also this perspective that you don't see often in this province on stage, you know, like you, you don't really see a, a comedian or an artist proudly displaying his love for Quebec and his love for Canada at the same time. You don't see that in Quebec. <laughs> you also trolled Quebec a little bit, Yeah, right? but I troll everyone. Like you punked the language cops, right? Yeah, the language cops. I put a, because you're only allowed to put uh, ads, uh, you're only allowed to, 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 to advertise in, in French in, in Quebec. I think it has to be predominantly in French. I mean, they measure the letters, right? Yeah, yeah, right. That's right. That's right. So I, um, Um, I was actually, it was sort of a reaction to uh, the exaggeration sometimes that the Office de la Langue Française, um, the, you know, which you know, we affectionately call the language police, um, were having towards some businesses here who, you know, had menus in either Italian or, you know, an Italian restaurant that called, there was a, a whole pasta gate around it. There was, uh, yeah. I think everybody remembers that. And all of these businesses that were getting uh, constantly, um, you know, bombarded by the, uh, the, 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 the language police find and stuff. So it was just, a, it was a reaction to that. And I thought it, you know, it'd be great to do it in jest. So I took out an ad in the Metro where I said, <clears throat> and this was right before Christmas where I said, For Christmas, I'd like a complaint from the Office de la Langue Française. Did you get it? I think I got it within 48 hours. Uh, someone complained, one uh, like a lawyer uh, uh, here in Quebec uh, posted, uh, posted uh, something on Facebook where he said, well, he's asking for it, so I'm giving it to him. And he posted his letter. And it was shared by, 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 you know, hundreds of people. And then I got wind of it. I said, okay, cool. Now it's time to change it. We were ready. And so we crossed it out in English and in black, with black tape. And on top of it, we wrote, uh, we wrote, we've changed it to French. So it was almost like uh, at the same time, we were testing the, uh, the efficiency of the system. We're like, oh, it's efficient. It works. <laughs> <laughs> were you fined? 
Uh, I was not fined, but it was a good exercise, and it was great. It was fun. I, everybody talked about it. It was uh, it was a funny campaign uh, that was a part of a bigger campaign. We had we had different ads addressing different things that a lot of Quebecers think about and live through every day. And well, yeah, you're promoting yourself, but you're also creating a touch point in in an ongoing conversation about language in this province. I mean, especially when you're bringing in people from different parts of the world. It's not just English, French, it's other languages. So that's sort of the space that you occupy here. Like you, you've, you've become a figure in, in that debate, but then you've got this whole other side of your career that, that's, that's international. So you're the first comedian that Comedy Central India put on tour? Yeah. I, I went to India in 2013. Comedy Central India, they, uh, they, uh, Comedy Central opened up a branch in India and uh, they have a very successful uh, station there that a lot of the uh, younger, uh, more westernized Indians watch. And um, they bought my special that aired on HBO Canada here. They played it over there in India, and it was the reaction was insane. It was amazing. So they had some sense that it would play there. Yeah. So they, they, they contacted us and they said, hey, we want to put together our first tour. We'd like you to be the headliner for it. Would you want to come down? So I went down and I did my show uh, in Delhi, Mumbai, and Bangalore. And in Mumbai, it was bilingual. It was half English, half Hindi. In New Delhi, it was half English, half Hindi. Uh, sorry, and a quarter Hindi and a quarter Punjabi because they speak both. And I speak both. And then in Bangalore, it was uh, mostly English with a little bit of Hindi because they don't speak any of them. You did a show in South Africa. You sold 15,000 tickets? That was in Durban, yeah. Because Durban, I didn't know this, but they have a heavy Indian population. It's mostly Indian to the point where when you see a white guy, people point them out. Oh, yeah, there's a white guy. And it's not just about the Indian diaspora. I mean, in comedy, it's always been about circuits. Like for black comedians, there was the Chitlin circuit. And then for Jewish comedians, there were the Catskills. And now it feels like, I guess it was Russell Peters kind of created this new circuit where like, not just about being Indian and, and Canadian, but uh, but this kind of like umbrella where everybody kind of felt included if they were if they were Jamaican, if they were Haitian, if they're Indian, if they're Middle Eastern. It, it, it's this kind of uh, whole new inclusive category, and and it's it's a really like a, a global circuit. It's a phenomenon. I think for me, I mean, I was it's crazy. Like even here in Montreal, just to let you know, this summer I played. Uh, Elmridge, which is a predominantly Anglo-Jewish golf club, and then Hillsdale, which is a predominantly Anglo-Jewish golf club. I did another fundraiser for uh, a CRJ, which is a Moroccan Jewish association. I'm doing another one called ORT, yeah. which is another Anglophone. Like Jew and I, I feel like all of these communities are embracing me in different ways, and I, I'm, I, I end up doing attracting different communities to my show and also having them book me for certain things. And I, I feel like I love that. I feel like it's like there's a brotherhood that exists there now, you know, and it's through comedy. It's because of comedy, you know, and I feel like there's a, it's special. I feel like, um, you know, all these communities embrace me. You know, I've done a lot of shows for the Italian community. It's like, it's just been one of those things that, uh, that for me, I, I feel like it brings me closer to, uh, to, to those communities because I think we live certain things together. We have a similar experience, you know, as second generation Indians or, uh, you know, immigrants sometimes or, or, or children of immigrants. People find the commonalities. They find the commonalities. They exist. I mean, I grew up in an area here called Côte des Neiges, which was heavily multicultural. I went to the most multicultural high school in Quebec. And most of the kids there had the same experience as I did, you know. 
So it, it creates a bond. And I think that's what helps me travel and my comedy travel so much. Like when I go to Lebanon, I perform there. People are like, how do you know all these insides about us? I was like, I grew up yeah. with like four Lebanese guys on my street. Yeah, it's a combination of knowing a little bit about a lot of different types of people, but also having experiences that a lot of different people can see themselves in. So you've broken through in Quebec. You're breaking through in Paris. You've broken through in, in India and South Africa. Have you broken through in English Canada? Listen, my last tour before this took off, because now I have four to six shows here in Quebec a week, four to six, including corporate shows. So it's just a timing factor. Before that, I was touring and doing theaters across Canada. I played uh, the Winter Garden uh, on my last Canadian tour. I played, uh, you know, uh, I played uh, the the, uh, Ottawa, I forget the big center that was there. I played one of their big theaters. I, I played big theaters across Canada. And then, uh, and I had that special on HBO Canada that was filmed here at Place des Arts as well. So it was going really well. It just took off in a massive, almost insane way over here. It was going at such an outrageous speed that I just never had the chance to go back. But we can talk about this, Sammy. Like, I'm not trying to suggest that nobody's heard of you in English Canada. You know, and every now and then somebody kind of like discovers or rediscovers what what you're doing. And there's a feature in the newspaper about you of like, wow, look at what this guy's doing. But I mean, to compare the reception in English Canada with what you're doing here, it's not even comparable, is it? No, it's not close anymore. Right. No, it's not even close. But And it, it used to be where uh, my career was basically English Canada was where I was making a living. Yeah. And then when I started doing French... It took off and it went at such a crazy speed and it grew so fast that it surpassed English Canada. And I think I, I probably sell uh, 10 times at least or maybe even 20 times more tickets here than I would anywhere else. Why is that? Because the traditional route in Canada is that if you want to make it big, you go to Toronto. And if you hit a wall there, if you're too big for Toronto, you go to New York or, or L.A. So like with you, I don't know if it's that you haven't broken through in English Canada or if you have no need to try. Uh, no, I definitely want to do it. But uh, I just think that uh, it was just the opportunity was here. You follow where the action is. Follow where the action is. And, I, and the fact is that I speak French. I mean, to break here, you got to speak the language. You know? yeah. So that's just a fact. And for me, um, I think it was just one of those uh, one of those things where it was just a natural progression in my career. And then I think once I start focusing on on other uh, avenues, it'll they'll, they'll take me in those directions. But I usually follow my heart. Like a lot of times I'll go... I'll never say, okay, well, where's the biggest potential? Let's do that. Let's go after this because the market is bigger there. I'll always say, well, what am I creating? What do I feel like writing right now? Like when I was writing my show for Quebec, I really was in love with that material. And then I said, okay, now let's find a way to market this. It's always create first, market after. Well, the dynamics you're playing with are not are not universal to all of Canada. They're, they're Quebec dynamics. I mean, first you're dealing with the English-French dynamic, and then you're dealing with yeah. what it means to be, you know, the immigrant experience dynamic within that English-French context. I guess there, there are suburbs uh, all around Canada that can relate to parts of that. I mean, you, you made your bones doing... Uh, Comedy clubs in small parts of Canada. Of course. What are those audiences like? Do they get you? Yeah, they're great. Do you do the same material for them? Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of times I'll speak, you know, there are a lot of things that I talk about that are universal because it's not only about Quebec politics or language politics. It'll, you know, I think because that wears itself thin after an hour and a half of it, people will be like, okay, we got the point. So, you know, I talk about traveling. I'll talk about hockey. That's a common Canadian experience. That's true. Like you, you speak Canadian and I don't. Yeah. <laughs> if you can talk about hockey, you can get by in Canada just about anywhere. Yeah, that's right. So it's like, uh, what else? Uh, I talk about music. I'll talk about pop culture. I'll talk about uh, relationships, you know, like, uh, 
everybody can relate to, uh, you know, me having a fight with my girlfriend. Like it'll, 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 it'll be there, you know, it'll it'll be something that people can relate to my relationship with my parents, you know, my dad, not understanding the internet. Like, I mean, that's, those are things that everybody gets. I remember I, I I used to throw one joke in there and, and, and this actually happened. I used to watch, like I used to go over my clips on YouTube to, to, to kind of like look at analytics and stuff. And my dad, I remember walking into my room and go, going, wow, they're playing you on the internet again. <laughs> you were just checking your stats. That's right. And he thought it was like TV. You know? so, okay. So you customize it a little bit. You, you play to your crowd. Yeah, that's right. I customize. So I was adapted. And I went, when I went to France, I wrote a lot of material about them, the common experience that they live, but seen through the eyes of a foreigner for the first time. Because a lot of what they encounter or what they, they, they live every day, everything, you know, the things that they encounter every day, they see it as, it's almost like wallpaper to them. You know, they get used to it. You get used to your surroundings. But in, for me, walking into Paris for the first time, the first couple of weeks, it was, there was a plethora of material everywhere. Yeah, you're seeing it fresh. Giving them my perspective, they, they love that because it's like, okay, yes, we're used to this, but this guy's actually giving us, you know, the time, you know, the, the correct time about how it works and how it... Uh, how uh, how uh, sometimes uh, we see things, we take things for granted. This guy's actually pointing them out, and it's it's great. But you're trying to find the humor in things. You're trying to find the humanity in things. Oh yeah, for sure. These are but tough times to be trying to find jokes, and you are a brown man. Yeah. moving to Paris, right? Yeah, that's right. But uh, but I think they can tell the difference between in <laughs> like the Indians. There are harmless. They sell che- hot chestnuts on the street. Like that's all I've seen my people do in Paris. <laughs> and I talk about that. I was like, is this the only job we're allowed to get? I was like, there are homeless people who are white yeah. who refuse to sell chestnuts. Yeah. They'd rather be homeless than sell chestnuts on the street. This is how like <laughs> this is how the bottom of the ladder this job is. Yeah. In in, uh, in Paris, but uh, like I think it must have been tough to be a comic in New York after 9-11, you know? Like, I think people weren't really sure how to process that into into humor. No, I understand. I think, uh, and for my friends, Parisian comics I've worked with while I was there, I was, you know, at the same comedy clubs as them. They definitely think it's difficult, but they're they're moving forward. And I saw um, an email that one of my buddies, his name is Verino, he's a comedian in Paris, and he wrote, he said, you know, uh, for us, we've got to continue to do our jobs as comedians, you know, we're here, we're, we're at your disposal. It's up to us to talk about these things, to bring light to them, but doing it with a certain finesse and an elegance. And he's like, let's move forward and together let's, you know, let's resist, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the, uh, resist, you know, what these people wanted to do to us, which is effectively have a stop living our lives. And I thought that was pretty courageous of him to, to, to post that and to put that up there and to, to, to invite people to come back and to, to, to see comedians perform. And a lot of the big guys are performing, were performing like a couple days later. You know, they were doing a show last night. They're doing one tonight. And they're like, we got to keep going. You know, it's the only way we'll, we'll get through this. There's something so quintessentially Canadian about what you've, what you've done, about you and about what you've kind of carved out for yourself. It, it seems like it kind of like, like it's living proof of some of the values that we that we'd like to describe ourselves, like the ways that we would like to think of ourselves as Canadians. That we're that we're multicultural, that we are sophisticated, that we're worldly, that we can kind of find uh, common humanity, uh, not just with everybody in this country, but with everybody in the world. That we're funny. I mean, this is uh, kind of like the very fabric of, of of who we think we are, 
and you kind of affected that into a reality for yourself. But there's like an irony, isn't there? Like there's 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 something deeply ironic about the fact that like it seems like you have to leave to make that happen. Like, do you find yourself frustrated with Canada, with the Canadian comedy scene, with just this sort of disparity between what you're doing and what a lot of other talented people are doing and the level of talent and then the product, like what actually makes it onto TV, what actually gets produced here? Well, I think you got to do both. I mean, you, if you're going to be successful at this job, you've got to be able to work here, but you've got to be able to also, you know, build elsewhere. You know, you got to find your your niches everywhere. I mean, I before I, I came back and did these shows in Quebec. But, but that seems like, I don't know, like people always kind of blame it on the population, but I mean, like you're able to sell out night after night in one city. I mean, there are. I mean, there are millions and millions of people in this country. I mean, I, I feel like that's a bit of a lame excuse. I think a lot of it is you got to take your career into your own hands. You know, a lot of times I feel like, uh, you know, I think that's the key to it too. Especially now in 2015, you know, everybody has to be almost the uh, the proprietor of their own intellectual property and their own brand, and they've got to you know, move it forward. I mean, you see, you're doing, you're doing it with Canada a lot of people are doing it on their own. Yeah. Do you know Lily Singh? You know her? She's like a YouTube star uh, from Brampton, Ontario. She's sort of like unknown downtown, but then she has this massive audience in India. Yeah, that's great. You people know? are kind of leapfrogging over the system. Yeah, that's right. And there's another guy called uh, Just Rain. I think he, uh, he's also from Toronto and he does something for the Punjabi community. Uh, he does it in English and that's taken off in a big way. And I think with his popularity, I think he got hired to do something on TV as well, but he's still in charge of his own audience. And I think you almost have to take control of your, of your career and do that and, and find different ways to, to, to do it and not, you know, not sit back and wait for it to happen because the more you push forward, the more other people will want to work with you and want to associate with you and want to put their, their money behind you. And I think that's, that's the, the lesson to learn from that. And I think that's where I, I learned it at McGill while throwing parties, you know, at one point we just started and when we built our, our audience and they started coming to our parties, uh, and our events, every club in the city wanted yeah. to have us and we just didn't have the time, you know, and we, we were like, wow, where were you guys in the beginning? You know? And then, but <laughs> obviously no one's going to believe in you until they see the potential. Yeah. yeah. You hear a lot of comics complain about, you know, why, why is the comedy network doing this and why didn't they pick up this script or, or turn this pilot into a series? And, if you actually go out of the States and, and, and do well, they'll come knocking on your door. Yeah, I think, you know what? Do it yourself. You know, it's, it's way easier than it used to be. That's for sure. It's way easier than it used to be 15 years ago. Do it yourself. Uh, you know, make it fun. Make it clever. Work hard on it. Put it out there. And, uh, and if you build an audience, you know what? You, you know, you might not need to be on TV. You might, you know, become a sensation uh, in every household without having to... To, to, to go pitch anything. And, and a lot of people are doing that. There's a guy in France right now, his name is Norman. And he, uh, he built his audience via YouTube and uh, he was getting millions of clicks and he still does. Every time he puts up a video, he gets millions of clicks and he makes revenue with YouTube. But then what he did was he started doing stand-up and doing clubs for a couple of years and then built a show and now he sells out five, 6,000 tickets a night. Uh-huh. So this guy built it on his own, yeah. you know, and no producer, no anything, it's just him. So I think that's the way of the present now. It's not even the way of the future. This is the way things are going. So, so uh, that'd be my advice, I think, right now is, you know, have as much control over your career as you can. Thanks so much. Oh, thanks. <laughs> 
that was your Canada Land show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me always at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is canadalandshow.com. That's where you can go to sign up to our weekly newsletter, which is written by the very funny Vicky Machama, and it's called Not Sorry. Check it out there. Our crowdfunding page is at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. The next episode of CanadaLand Commons is up on Tuesday. The next episode of Shortcuts is up on Thursday. I make this show with Katie Jensen. If you like this show, please support it. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.